So as I mentioned, today we're talking about somewhat a heavy subject of shame and vulnerability, which I feel a little silly about because there's this person named Brene Brown. I don't know if you all are familiar with her. If you've either read a book or read a blog or watched a video of her or know her name, raise your hand. Okay, so quite a few. So her TED Talk on shame and vulnerability is the fourth most watched TED Talk, clocking in at 59,362,000 views, which last time I checked, which was yesterday, my sermon from September 11th is clocking in at 13 views. So I'm coming for you, Brene. I'm coming. So I felt compelled to talk about this topic because uh, I preached last week or last month on the prodigal son and I was really moved by his story and even though I've read that story a thousand times, I was really compelled, kind of just moved by him thinking about him dealing with maybe shame or embarrassment. And so then it brought me to think about one of my favorite stories in scripture, maybe one that you've never heard a sermon on. Uh, but one that I feel like a lot of people really appreciate. So let's go ahead and get into our scripture today, which is Mark 5, 25 through 34. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now you all probably know what I'm going to ask of you. I want you to imagine that you're this woman. Put your feet, or put your feet in her shoes. So you've had this ailment for 12 years, maybe since you were 11, 12, 13, and now you're an adult. A majority of your life, you've been plagued with this ailment. Now, with Jewish customs, when a a woman separates herself from her community when she bleeds because she's unclean, purity laws were everything at this time. But once you stop bleeding, a woman could re-enter and go about her life. She could go to temple, she could engage with community, she could eat, she could be with her friends, do whatever. But for this woman... Days went by, and then weeks, and months, and years, and she was never fully able to re-enter community. 
Have you thought about maybe the first time she went away, she didn't know that she wasn't coming back, that she was stuck? To uphold the purity laws became an impossible burden, and she had no choice. So she's isolated. She's alone and lonely. She's pushed aside. She's forgotten. She's embarrassed. She's probably depressed full of grief, probably angry, and she's sad. And if that wasn't bad enough, imagine the things that she was called, what people yelled at her. Sinner, disgusting, gross, go away, get out of here, move away, you don't belong here. When she was remotely close, you moved far away from her. You couldn't risk being in contact with her because you would be made unclean. It makes me think of those in our lives that feel like that woman, that feel pushed aside, those in the margins, those that are, that are forgotten. I was listening to a podcast a few years back, and the host mentioned this guy named Dr. Kurt Thompson in some of his books, and this is his picture. Doesn't he look super British? You know how some people just look British? He's kind of a, a better-looking Mr. Bean, in my opinion. But there's something about British people, they open up their mouth and you're like, you are already smarter than everyone in the room, right? So I heard him speak at a conference, and it turns out he's not British, so... Um, but still, I was really captivated what he was sharing. He's a psychiatrist with this Christian perspective. He studies neurobiology. And so his books are really more data-driven research, all that, which is not normally what I gravitate toward, but I thought after hearing him speak, I go, I gotta get this book. Because he kept sharing his deepest desire was for people to be known, to be um, kind of whole, to be in community. And I'm like, I gotta know more about this. So I picked up his book, The Soul of Shame. And I don't know if you can... Uh, tell if you're worshiping with us online, but there's a lot of tabs in this book because I was really captivated by things he said and moved and heartbroken, and I thought, gosh, there's something to be said about shame. There was this quote that really hit me like a ton of bricks. It says this, when I perceive that I'm receiving the shame from a community of voices, the pain can become unbearable. When the collection of the voices of an entire community shames us, it is much more unwieldy due to our inability to locate it centrally in any one place. And so when I feel shame in my family or in my church, addressing it feels quite overwhelming. I think about this woman in this story who's completely wrapped up. Um, she's de- everything about her is determined and dictated by the community around her. How she views herself, how she thinks of herself has been handed to her by a community. And it's been relentless. It's been constant for so many years. She no longer has a voice that says, you're worthy or you're lovable. Her identity is entirely because of what others say. Day in and day out, she hears the most unkind, hateful, and unloving words, and so they have poured so much shame upon her. And maybe you're here today, and you think, I know how that feels. And I think about, um, you know, shame can come from things that I f- feel very big, but sometimes they're very small, and I had a few examples. 
Maybe you've shown up to some event or place and you realize you're severely underdressed. You, you realize maybe your clothes or your shoes aren't as nice. If maybe when you were a child you didn't have a new pair of shoes on the first day of school or a new backpack and you were very aware of it. Maybe uh, you're a boy that doesn't like sports. You're a girl that doesn't like to play with the dolls. Have you ever showed up to an event where there's valet and you, you realize you have the roughest, oldest car in the lot? I've been like that. I've been behind too many Teslas with the Batmobile uh, doors. I'm like, here's my keys. Watch out for the animal crackers. You realize you don't live in the right part of town. You know, as a kid, I, I did leave, live in the right part of town. But it wasn't until middle school that I talked to people that they kind of felt embarrassed to share where they lived or to invite me over, and I didn't understand it. What about maybe you didn't go to college, or you went to college but not the right one, or you only have an associate's? Thank goodness we're starting to change the narrative that you're only successful if you go to college. I'm so thankful we're changing that. For me, you think um, there's a message of, well, you're just a stay-at-home mom, but for me, it's, you're a mom, you work outside the home, what about your kids? Maybe you don't make as much money as your friends or those in your family. Maybe at one time in your life, you had to make a really hard decision. You've had financial trouble. You have had or have an addiction. You've been divorced. Abuse has been in your past. Where you're born, what you look like, or simply who you are creates some sort of sense of shame for you. We all probably have our own thing we could add to that. But I feel like so much of those examples is an example of shame being put upon us that some other group, some other community deemed you had to be a certain way. Now, I will get to shame that maybe has come from mistakes, but I don't want to stick with this right now. Many of us relate to the woman in the story whose whole identity has been named by others. We hold onto and we carry shame. And as the quote said, it's difficult, nearly impossible to not have this recording in our heads that there's something wrong with us, that there's something broken, that we're unlovable. Because everywhere we look, the narrative is that we are not good enough. When you watch a movie or read a book and something about you is portrayed poorly or shameful, you believe it. When you watch the news and the way people talk about you is always in this negative light, you believe it. When the thing you struggle with or have done in the past is this hush-hush sort of scandalous thing, you believe that narrative. When everywhere you look, you are made to feel less than or something is wrong or broken that you don't have worth it so hard to break out of that cycle. That's why it's important for us to change the narrative to help people because shame comes out in other ways. It can come out in eating disorders or addictions or self-harm or anger or violence, much more. And it starts very early. I read in this book that um, children as early as 15 months old can feel shame. Now, as someone raising children, I've already messed up with my six-year-old and my three-year-old, but this five-month-old, I'm gonna get right. My first two were practice kids, okay? And I'm not trying to make light, but man, I needed a joke because this is a heavy sermon. But Morgan, my five-month-old, almost six-month-old, I'm going to be better. 
But it made me think about, oh my goodness, the things that we say, our body language toward people, how we betray them in stories, our words matter. Because so much that has happened, maybe something that happened as, um, to you as a child, they go with you. It can carry on for a lifetime. Even when it doesn't necessarily relate or connect, your shame can come out in different ways. So there's, there can be this underlying sense of shame because of the stories of things we've been told by society of those we've been in a relationship with. Okay, but what about things you think, well, what about stuff I've done I know is bad, Reagan? I can't seem to forgive myself. I can't seem to let go of it. First of all, I want to say how sorry I am that you have carried that shame. I know that I have carried things much longer than I needed to. Maybe you were faced with a terrible decision. Maybe your life has been so hard and some circumstances led you down a terrible path. And at times, yes, we have to own our stuff. We have to own it. But I want you to know that you don't have to be defined by that worst moment. That doesn't have to be your identity. Don't let your guilt turn into shame and let it define you and shape you. You are more than those mistakes. And I know this to be true because the way God loves the Israelites and all the other major players in the Old Testament. I know this to be true by the way that Christ interacted with the worst of the worst. He, lo- he looked beyond what people did or who they were and saw something. He saw a lovable person. He saw a child of God. He saw someone who maybe really needed forgiveness and gave it freely. He knew that they could be a new creation, that their path could change, that what was ahead was far greater than what was behind them. The woman in adultery knew this, the woman at the wells, Zacchaeus, the prodigal son, and all the other sinners of the time. Jesus knew what had happened to them or what they had done did not have to define them. So what's the remedy? How do we fix this problem? How does a church have a role in this? I'm glad you asked. Those that feel shame often feel disconnected. Clearly the woman in the story felt incredibly disconnected from her community. Brene Brown talks about how vulnerability is so important in combating shame. Vulnerability helps us have connection. And this vulnerability comes on multiple levels. Those that maybe are carrying shame or, or have something, which we, I think we all do at some sort of level, need to be courageous enough to say things out loud and share. Now, you don't have to broadcast it. You don't have to make it really public or shout it, but sharing it with at least one other trusted person. And if you're on the receiving end of that, you embrace those people and you love them. I mean, you think about how... um, loved you feel or how connected you feel when someone shares something with you. Like a kid, you could be instant friends with someone. You're like, I like pizza. I like pizza too. Instant friendship, right? And as adults, when we share things and someone says, me too. Thank you for sharing that. I had no idea. I thought I was alone in this. Connection happens and shame doesn't have as much power. By being honest, transparent, we can dismantle the hold that shame has on us. The vulnerability this woman expressed when she crawled to touch just the hem of Christ's robe. She, she risked being seen, people jumping to get away from her, to, be, to yell at. Maybe this teacher that she heard of Jesus, this Jesus fellow, maybe he was going to scold her. She didn't know. 
And yet she trembles to just touch his robe. She's so desperate to be part of the community and be seen again. So the church especially has a very unique and vital position to make people feel safe and heard and loved and valued, forgiven and cheered for. We're not here to pile on more shame. We're here to say, you are welcome here. You have a place here. You belong. You are loved. When we constantly repeat this message, when we say it out loud, when we act like it, when we live it, we can help bring healing to people. Because what we're doing is channeling and living into God's love for God's people. And shame doesn't have a chance when we pour upon that love and grace. And we say to people, you are worthy and beloved, no matter what. You know, I think about this woman. The one after she touches the robe and Jesus comes to her. And she is probably so scared. What's he going to say to me? Because she has heard the worst things about herself for so long. And so she probably wonders, who do you say I am? And what she hears probably for the first time in a long time is daughter. A term of endearment, of, of affection and love. So may we go out in the world and let people know they are daughters and sons who are deeply loved by a good, good God. And may shame not have the final word. Amen.